Men certainly dominated Gold Rush, California, and that had a lot of consequences for the women who did live there. Consider this famous incident that took place in a town called Downeyville, about an hour from Sacramento. On July 4, 1851, the people of Downeyville gathered to celebrate Independence Day. Which is the first year that California gets to celebrate the 4th of July as being part of the Union of the United States of America. This is literary critic Mafey Rojas. She says the town had geared up for a big party. There's a lot of drinking. There is a lot of parades and just, a, you know, a lot of fun that people are having. Now, when I say people, I mean mostly men, right, because that's what makes up the majority of the population. And in terms of who's actually doing the celebrating, it's mostly white men. Including Frederick Cannon, an Australian miner. After a night of drinking, he and some other miners ended up outside the house of a Mexican couple. Their names were Jose and Josefa. Cannon knew Josefa, who worked in a saloon. Some people describe her as having a particularly wild eye. <laughs> you know, that it, it sparkles and it has like a, I don't know, a glean to it. I, it. I feel like it's kind of hinting at, again, sort of her devilish nature. She's described as small, you know, uh, by that I mean petite. Um, uh, and, but really, the most common word used is beautiful. In that evening, Kenan saw that Josefa was home alone. As he's um, stumbling by, and I say stumbling because that is the way it's recorded by various eyewitnesses of that time, he decides to go knock on the door and eventually knocks the door down off its leather hinges and enters. No one knows what happened inside Josefa's home that evening. Cannon went in alone as his friends waited outside. Eventually, he emerged, and he and his companions went on their way. The next morning, Cannon headed back to Josefa's neighborhood. Because this is also the same street that a doctor lives on that offers hangover medication to minors who have drank too much. And so as he passes by her door, her husband, who's now home, rushes out, very upset, and starts demanding that Frederick pay for the door. They argued, and Josefa soon joined in on her husband's side. And then what's really interesting is then the conversation turns to Spanish. So at some point, the people who are witnessing it don't actually know what's being said. <laughs> but because Frederick seems to have enough of a handle of language to be able to argue with them. But it does grow incredibly heated. A small crowd gathered. One person later said that Josefa seemed more agitated than her husband. But the argument took a fateful turn when Cannon apparently calls her a whore or something of the like, and she then demands that he repeat those words to her inside of her own home. And he follows, and she has a knife and stabs him with it inside the home, stabs him in the heart, and he stumbles out. And, uh, I mean, it's a deep enough wound that he dies almost immediately. One eyewitness would write that Cannon fell with one last groan at the feet of the beautiful woman who threw her knife dripping with blood on the ground.
And of course, this creates great chaos. Everyone's sort of thrown into uh, a moment of panic. There was a, a great sense of injustice. How could this minor have been killed by a Mexican woman? There's just so much indignation about it. Downeyville, like many gold rush towns, didn't have a formal legal system at this time. Nevertheless, the townspeople threw together a hasty jury trial. Several of the reports refer to the person who sort of heads up the jury uh, as Judge Lynch. I mean, it was very vigilante. A few people tried to come to Josefa's defense, but the angry mob would have none of it. And within a few hours' time, Jose is ran out of the town completely. He's exiled, and Josefa sentenced to death. She was hanged, but not before getting in some famous last words. Perhaps this is just dramatic, but it's interesting that it shows up in multiple accounts. They say that she said, if I had to do it again, I would. The editors at the San Francisco papers don't believe it. They just can't wrap their minds around the fact that a community would kill a woman. I mean, it's such a scarcity to have women present, and the story just seems rather outrageous. It was outrageous, even for the people of Downeyville. Days, months, and even years after the fact, eyewitnesses were still publishing accounts of the lynching. Rojas has analyzed many of these narratives, most of which were written by white men. She says that some of the details are different in each one, but the basic outline remains the same. So the story constantly goes back to this idea that um, it's a really tragic thing and people are uh, ashamed of it. You know, the men specifically are ashamed of it. But then they feel really torn because they feel that this woman should never have done what she did, right? Like that, like this was monstrous, that women don't do things like that. She shouldn't have gotten so angry and she had this like, you know, hot-blooded temper and it just always got her in trouble and it just finally reached its boiling point. Rojas contends that the recollections of the young woman's death give us more than a strange nugget of gold rush lore. She says that Josefa's death is revealing of a key moment in California's history. Only a few years before Josefa's hanging, California had been a Mexican territory. But Mexico lost California and most of the Southwest following the Mexican-American War. There's a great deal of animosity between the U.S. and Mexican residents, particularly on the U.S. side. You see um, individuals writing very, very ugly things about Mexicans and about Mexico as a country and really feeling incredibly entitled about this land that they now possess by being, you know, Americans and that no one else had, um, you know, rights to it. And that extended to who should enjoy the benefits of the gold rush. Mexicans, naturally, were among the first to reach California's gold fields. In 1850, the state legislature of California passed a miners' tax that levied a $20 per month fee on foreigners. This was an incredibly steep fine that shut many Mexicans out of the mining industry. But for a woman like Josefa, the conflict was more personal. Remember, the night before she stabbed him, Frederick Cannon broke into her home while she was alone. Given the desire that women in general generated, it being such a scarce commodity in that area, and given the nature of how he approached her in her home, um, and given the history that we've seen 
since then in terms of uh, how Mexican women, how women of color in general have been treated by white men, um, especially, you know, around the area of power, right? Um, many have believed that some sort of sexual issue took place that was not non-consensual and likely violent, um, and that that was in part what, what made her so upset. I mean, if you think about it, right, to be called a whore, right, on top of maybe having been sexually assaulted, that's a lot for someone. Rojas says that all of these factors fed into that explosive moment in Downeyville. And I think that's what's really important to recognize about it is that it's not isolated. It's not just a hot-tempered woman or a mistaken situation, you know, over what actually took place or or even just a lonely, um, drunk minor. That property and women's bodies were definitely seen as for the taking by white men. And maybe that's why Josefa committed the horrific crime that led to her death. I think— her bravery, you know, in speaking out, um, in defending herself, defending her honor, it was a, a kind of resistance. Mathie Rojas is a professor of Chicano and Latino Studies at California State University, Long Beach. <laughs> 